to worship him. Heavenly Father, you are sovereign. You are wise. You are loving. We entrust our lives and our church into your hands. You have given and you have taken away. Blessed be your name. You are always good. Even when things are bad. And help us today, God. We need you. Be near to us. Send your Holy Spirit to minister and help us and comfort us today. We lift up our praises to you now. Blessed be your name, our God. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together and worship our God. I was pastor for Len and for Heather and for Luke and for Brendan and for Rachel and for Grant. And I'm not anymore, as you know, because they don't need a pastor. They are now with the great pastor of their souls, Jesus Christ. You know their family, most of you, or a lot of you. You know them in different ways, and you know them better than I do in some ways. They were a member of this congregation, and they are, as members of our body, a member is now missing, and so the whole body suffers. That's how God made it. But as we'll see, we saw last week, and we're going to see this morning, suffering isn't always bad because God is using it to shape us transform us for eternal joy. Len was the, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord kind of dad. I remember at the, one of our men's breakfasts after he came up to me and said, I'd like to get together. He says, I, I want to grow as a leader in my house. I do believe that he was, and it, it would be just that type of question he would ask or request because he wanted to continue to grow in it. He wasn't a hypocrite. He was, you know him, to be described by words like servant, right? Friend, happy, humorous, hilarious, interested in you. He'd be holding, he would be holding Grant, holding his Bible, Maybe his coffee. He was at the soundboard. He was fixing computers, maybe some of your computers. He was married to the perfect helper, soulmate, friend, Heather. I didn't know this, but maybe you did. Her, Yes, her smile was very striking, so much so that it struck him one day in an eye doctor's office. And as you may not know, unfortunately... It was not Heather, but her identical twin sister, Rhonda. And Rhonda was married already, but introduced Len to her look-alike sister. Heather was more shy, introverted, willing, but also willing, always willing to lead, uh, help and serve others, help in the nursery, help in kids' ministry, and help her family. And she she worked at the hospital and served her family that way. She served her patients. She served her little troops, her poor kids. And that is a significant, significant ministry. For all those years as mom, investing in eternity. The four beautiful kids who are now with her in heaven. Lou 
turned those two parent those two married couple into parents. Luke was smart. One of his uncles or aunts told me he was almost OCD smart. Could be so like having to organize everything perfectly. Loved math, loved books, loved the Bible. Would go to friends' house with math math cards in order to play games with math. He would ask a ton of questions. He was loved video games like a lot of boys do. And like his dad, he was a servant. His younger brother, Brendan, was the rascal, energetic, maybe more lively, more running around type of boy. And Joy Dibler told me that he would meet her at the door often and carry her stuff to the classroom. One of you told me that he wanted to be a missionary. He wanted to be a missionary now because he knew the hope of Jesus Christ. All three of these kids put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. They weren't too young for that. Kids, if you're in here, you're not too young for that. To receive Jesus, to look to to cling to Jesus for your salvation. Their little sister, Rachel, you all know her as full of spunk and vigor, happy and active and very confident, very confident. She would pray. Joy said that she would pray and pray and pray. She would wax eloquently in prayer at the beginning of Sunday school. She could. I think someone told me that she would pray, make me as beautiful on the inside as I am on the outside. I remember her up here during the baptisms, thumping on the on the front step. Grant was just learning words, cute kid, easy to receive into the nursery, happy, just learning words, content. So, Len and Heather raised their kids with no regrets. That's, that's a convicting thing for all of us. All three of the older ones prayed to receive Jesus. They sang together. They came to church together. They studied God's Word together. They played together. They memorized fighter verses and other things together. And as we all know, they went to sleep together for the last time. Yep, they slept together in a unique way. They were together. That's how God chose to end this chapter for them. And and we know, because we believe God's Word, that in some way it's just the beginning of a book for them. That was just a small beginning preface chapter, and it's just beginning. And it only gets better. As Lewis said, it's like all of their life was the cover page and the introduction. And now they're beginning the first chapter of the real book in which each chapter is better than the one before that goes on forever.
this, this family was spared the mercy of all six of them being together rather than being left behind. I'm glad that we didn't have that choice because that's not something we should choose. We can't choose because you don't want any of them to die. But God chose them to go together. I learned this. I, it didn't dawn on me until someone said something that Heather would work Friday nights on a regular basis until just the la- last month. And they took away her shift, and she could have been working Friday into Saturday morning. May have not have been there. Would have come home to that. But God was merciful. One evidence of this family's devotion to God in the Bible was their commitment to learn the Word of God together. And I just I think this, especially as the church family, this is an instructive thing for us to see. One of the things that one of the, one of their junior church teachers or Sunday school teachers told me that they would come in and they'd have a Bible verse in Sunday school and the kids would go, "Is this? Do you mean the fighter verse? We worked on the fighter verse." And so they were working on their fighter verse, and Glenn had that week's fighter verse all over his computer and in, in his house. And, it, and you know it was last week. So this is what they focused on their last week on earth. For God alone, O oh my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from Him. He is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory, my mighty rock, my refuge is God. Trust in Him at all times, O people. Pour out your hearts before Him. God is a refuge for us. Amen? I shall not be shaken. On a human level, they were shaken. They were taken. But they were taken into God. These six individuals, Len, Heather, Luke, Brendan, Rachel, and Grant, are in heaven with Jesus because God alone, not themselves, not this church, not any of their actions, was their salvation. Our church knew Len to be a big hugger. His dad told me that he didn't just hug, and he described it well. Because of his size, he engulfed you. And the Quasarano family engulfed our church, right? And just like any good hug, it's got to end sometime. The good ones leave you better. It leaves you encouraged and more secure. The source of their love was only possible because someone so much greater engulfed them with His love, opened His arms, and opened them wide and took nails in His hands and bore their sins on the cross. Took the punishment for their... They're not in heaven because... They earned something because they were just really good people. They were really good people because Jesus saved them, rescued them, and started to change them. That's why. We don't, we don't, we don't rejoice in their earning heaven. We rejoice in God's grace in their lives, and we rejoice about all their virtues, but we all have to, it all has, if it's worth anything, we just, we say it's God. God be the praise. God be the glory. And I think for all of us, we, we can't help but go to a funeral or think about this and go, 
God, help it to be in me. Help it to be in me. If that's next week for me, and we say, God forbid, because we don't want that. God made us to want life. But God, help me to be prepared. So we're going we're gonna to sing some songs. We're going we're gonna to spend some time meditating on Psalm 25 for a little while, trusting God when times are bad. And then, and then we, I pray, built up uh, in the Lord. God, I pray that you'd help us now as we sing. Heal us, help us. Mark us that we may be made better. Give us a deep and rich view of you. Thank you for the Quasaranos. Thank you for Len and Heather. And thank you for Luke and Brendan and Rachel and Grant. We want to honor them, our family, with you. Bodies nearby, but souls with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together. I want to bring to you a message called Trusting God When Things Are Bad. And note that there's a quotation, there should be a quotation at the word bad. Last week, last Sunday morning, not knowing that one of our families had, had perished, humanly speaking, went to sleep in Jesus. We had a sermon last week on suffering. Thank you. We had a sermon on suffering. And in that sermon, I, I said that foundational to our Christian understanding that, that undergirds everything about us is that God is sovereign. He is overall. He's in charge. That God is wise. And we have to believe that by faith, that God is good, that he, he orchestrates everything with a perfect wisdom. And that wisdom is goodness to his children. And that we on this earth will go through a lot of suffering and pain. And God's people are, God intends for us to take on the path of obedience all of our suffering we have an opportunity to suffer with Christ and for Christ. We suffer, and, and so church, this morning, God wants us to take this. And I know that there is other suffering right now. And so right now, you might come in here and say, man, I, I, I feel sad that I'm bringing up my own trials because of this. But you know what? The trial that you have is, is a real trial. It is from God in one sense, and God wants you to learn to respond to Him in the way He responds, and it will bring the truest comfort and joy, and it may take a long time. And I pray that this morning, that what wouldn't take a long time is an understanding of God's ways in a better way, and a comfort in that grace. I said this last week, and we need to believe this, that every suffering and trial that we go through on one hand, is Satan is using those trials, those pains, those sufferings 
in order to destroy our belief in God's goodness. And on the other side, in the very same situation, God is orchestrated these events in order to refine our faith, to purify our faith, and to shape us into being creatures that we were truly intended to be. If this world was the only world there was, last Saturday was a tragedy of great great proportion. If this world is the only world that there is, your pain is truly bad, There's nothing good about it. Do everything you can to escape that pain, hate that pain, get out of that pain. But one of the foundational things that we have to believe into and we need to grow and to cling to is the fact that this world is not all there is. I walked through the cemetery this morning and looked at the graves and I saw other members from this church's graves. Betsy's and Naomi's and there are others. If this is all there is and if Christ did not raise from the dead the first from the dead, meaning there's more to come, then we are to be, of all men, pitied. We're wasting our time as Christians. Just throw it away. But it isn't. And so, God has given us a big Bible And in this big Bible, it tells us a lot of things about how to suffer and how to respond and how to know the ways of God in this world and just to live as pilgrims in it. And one of the ways he did that was in in thousands of years ago, he spoke through men that wrote songs and prayers to God and he inspired them and they sang songs and some of them had prophetic meaning that they were pointing directly to Jesus. But throughout throughout the centuries and throughout the millennia, God's people have taken these words from Him as ways of learning how to cling to Jesus Christ, cling to God. And Psalm 25 is one of them. About four years ago, I, put this, I took this passage and I memorized it, and it has become... One of my favorite psalms and a psalm that I always have to go to. You need to have those things. You need those passages in God's Word that you run to. You say, I need this. This is a familiar path. This is where God has ministered to me. And I, I, I challenge you to take a passage like Psalm 25 or Psalm 16 or Psalm 23 and you memorize it and you... And over time, that becomes you. It, it, just, it just permeates your soul as you meditate on it. And I want to just meditate on it real quickly. If you're going to summarize the whole sermon in these three things, this is the, the point is this. Trust God when times are bad. I want you to see where the times were bad in the psalm. And I want you to see how he trusted God 
some ways that trust looked like. What does trust look like for Faith Baptist Church? What does it look like for you that have lost a spouse, lost a mom, lost a dad? Maybe it happened not through death, but through painful separation. Maybe it happened through, maybe it's not relationships, maybe it's not that, maybe it's you got news and you're terrified, what could that doctor's report be? Maybe it has to do with financial anxiety and stress. Maybe it's, maybe it's just the nagging things of feeling really, maybe you feel like you had dreams and ambitions and you're come to a time where you go, have I lived a very significant life and I feel very discouraged about where I am? Not one of us would have chosen to see this family leave. Of course not. But as I think about this situation, and Molly said to me last night, you know what's so unique about this crisis? We had a family completely taken from us, and there's not one survivor of that family in our church for us to rally around. What does that mean? I, I surely don't know all that God means in it for us, but one of the things that I think it means for us, even though there are some of you in this room that were more closely affected, because like all relationships, some people are closer than others, so some of you are, are hurting emotionally in a greater way, and we need to come alongside you in a greater way. And by the way, I have to say thank you for your love and your support to me and my family. I feel it. I feel like I have a body that just loves me and comes right around me and supports me. Thank you. You're welcome. But what I want to say is perhaps that God in this situation wants us, each of us, to go instead of Him giving us a direct family member in this church, He wants us to go. God, what do you have in what do you have in store for me out of this? We are we're gonna pick up in Colossians in a few weeks, probably right after Easter. But we're we're at the point in Colossians where Paul says that I warn everyone and I I am proclaiming Christ to everyone. Why? So that I would present Everyone mature in Christ. God's intention is for every single individual, every soul in this room right now, to someday, when they meet Christ, whether that be in a tragedy like last week, or whether that be when you're 90, or somewhere in between, or when, or if Christ returns tomorrow, or a decade from now, that you would be presented to Him having faith and mature in Christ. That is God's intention And though we would never choose this, I would say that the events of last week have made pastoring easier towards that end. Because something like this wakes us up to not a new reality, as though we were not living in a world of crisis and pain and suffering. We've always had them. Not one of us. Every one of us is mortal. Every one of us has a terminal condition. And and this only wakes us up to say, what am I living for? 
where am I putting my joy? Where am I anchoring my soul? Psalm 25 anchors his soul on God. And so let, follow me as I read Psalm 25. And I just want to, we're not going to, even though I have a lot of points, those points are going to kind of go through them. And we'll, we'll put them on the web so you can actually get the entire outline. I, I think they're really helpful, just truths as you glean on from Psalm 25. Psalm 25, David says, To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exalt over you, over me. Indeed, none who wait for me shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wanton and treacherous. Make me to know your way, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right, and he teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who love Him. Keep His commandments and testimonies. For Your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him will He instruct in the way He should go. His soul shall abide in well-being, and His offspring shall inherit the land. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear Him, and He makes known to Him his covenant. My eyes are ever toward the Lord, for He will pluck my feet out of the net. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. Consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. Consider my how many are my foes and with what violent hatred they hate me. O guard my soul and deliver me. Let me not be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait and wait for you. Redeem Israel, O God. Redeem Israel out of all his troubles. God, I pray that you would help us this morning. That we may be presented, rooted, and grounded and established in our faith in Jesus Christ. Abounding in thanksgiving, even though we are sorrowful, but always rejoicing. In Jesus' name, Amen. I have a bunch of quotes here, and I'm going to just skip past them. And I want to get into this text, and I want you to ponder the, this. No matter where you are this morning, Psalm 25 is a massive encouragement. Maybe some of you are suffering from pain, and some of that pain is because of your sin. This psalm really helps you. Some of you may have grief, and it might be because of mistakes in your life the sins of your youth, 
this psalm is really encouraging. Maybe it's because of the deceit, the treachery, and the pain of other people. This sin, this psalm is really encouraging. Maybe it has to do with circumstances outside of anything that you did and you have tried to, but you know you're a sinner, walk uprightly, and it still has come, and this psalm is really encouraging to you. I love this psalm in so many ways, and partly because it is so realistic. So one of the things that when I'm going through suffering, I, I start to go through a mind of introspection. I look in the mirror, and I should, but often I could look at that mirror and go, okay, I can find comfort as long as I'm completely innocent then I can actually find security that then God will bless me even through this. But we are sinners, and then all our sin is riddled, all of our lives are riddled with our own selfishness and sinfulness. And at times, as we go through trials, we can easily go, okay, was that because of me? Was that because of just circumstances? God, what are you doing? Sometimes we can never figure that out. We do live in a life where we are living with our consequences. And yet, sometimes suffering happens. And by the way, I'm not saying that we should ever, in any of these circumstances, look and go, oh, this happened, so it must be a direct judgment. No. But we live in a sinful world. We are sinners. We're going to see this in the coming weeks, that God has subjected this world to futility in hope. He's doing something. It's, it's not forever. And this psalm is so encouraging to a troubled soul, no matter where you are. And what I want you to see is, first of all, the bad things that David mentions. Do you see them? They're, all, they're, they're dotted throughout the psalm. If, you, if you're a highlighter, you could take black ink and under each, each line write the, the struggles under them. Like verse 2, he's humiliated and shamed, or at least he's tempted to be humiliated and shamed by enemies, and we'll see friends that are going to betray him. Which secondly, we see him dealing with treachery. Treachery meaning somebody that was supposed to be there for him was against David. We know that in David's life, whether that be Saul, the one that was the anointed king at the time, who David was so loyal to and so loved. We found David found this later on in his life where his son and others that he served, they came and they stabbed him in the back. The pain of the people that should have loved him and cared for him hurt him. He says, he, we find in verse 7 the consequences of his past sin. We know David as a righteous man. David's life is so helpful to us because David was a man after own God, God's own heart, but he was a messed up sinner in other ways. And I know this room is full of messed up sinners like this pastor. And we need God's grace. And David says, remember my, not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me for the sake of your goodness. Not for the sake of my goodness, for the sake of your goodness. Or he's faced, and along with that, he's faced past guilt of pain and a wounded conscience. So in verse 11 and verse 18, he says, For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, it is great. Or verse 18, consider my affliction and trouble. But he doesn't end there. And he says, and forgive all my sins. It's very interesting. At the end, he does say, 
that he is, there's been an integrity in him. Or he says that others are trapping him. He's been ensnared. Somebody has come and tricked him and has attacked him. And the enemy, Satan, and others have come and trapped him. And, and he says he's caught in a trap, verse 15. Or he's enduring great loneliness and affliction. Turn to me and be gracious, for I'm lonely and afflicted. Some of you are very lonely. You are afflicted. You feel the pain. Or you will. Or you feel it from someone else. You feel it from this. Brokenhearted. Verse 17, suffering from brokenheartedness. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. He's facing numerous enemies. It's just not one. How many are my foes? Consider verse 19. And with what violent hatred they hate me. He has people that hate him. Things, David cries out to God when things are bad. Where in your life are they bad? We see that God is suffering our, no matter what, the loss of loved ones, debilitating and fatal illnesses, personal betrayals, financial reversals, moral failures, all these will eventually come upon us and live out that live out a normal lifespan where no one is immune to this. Therefore, no matter what, I like what Tim Keller says, no matter what precautions we take, no matter how well we have put together a good life, no matter how hard we have worked to be healthy, wealthy, comfortable, with friends and family, and success with our career, something will inevitably ruin it. No amount of money, power, and planning can prevent bereavement, dire illness, relationship betrayal, financial disaster, or a host of other troubles from entering our lives. Human life is fatally fragile and subject to forces beyond the power to manage. Life is tragic. We all know this intuitively, and those who face the challenge of suffering and pain learn it all too well. That it is impossible to do so using only our own resources. We all need support if we are to succumb to despair. And as we saw last week, there is a way in which God's people face all of that in this world and are able to be made perfect through suffering, is why the scriptures talk about it. To be made perfect, through, to be made complete, to be made transformed into Christ-likeness over time through suffering so that like David or like Paul said, I rejoice in my sufferings. I'm sorrowful, but I was rejoicing. I'm rejoicing that I'm able to suffer with Christ and for Christ. So how does David do it? Here are seven ways. And what I want, if you could just summarize it all up, actually they could all be summarized into a type of heart cry up to God. But let's see how David does this. In seven, I see seven things standing out to me. And you want to say, okay, how, Pastor Daniel, how do I, in my bad, when bad things are happening, what does it look like for me to, to be in the process of trusting in God? Do I just sit there and just say, okay, I trust you, we're, it's done. I trusted God. There, now we go on our way. Here are seven things. They're all from this passage. Number one. 
by number one, the first way is by surrendering up our souls to God in desperate dedication. Look at verse one. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. To you, O Lord, I lift. He surrenders up his soul to God. God, I am yours. God, I'm going through this. What are you going through right now? Start by saying, God, I don't know how. I don't know how long. I I can't imagine going through, but God, I surrender myself to you. I am yours. I I lift up my soul to you. That's that's the language that David is using. It's it's this complete, it's like you offering up a sacrifice. God, my soul to you, I lift. I, I, I give you my everything. I give all of it to you in this ache, in this desperation. That's number one. Surrendering our souls to God in desperate dedication. Number two, by crying out to God for wisdom and guidance. When you're suffering, you're often saying, I don't know what to do. You're often in a place where God, help me, help me, I don't know what to do. Give me wisdom, give me guidance. Help me, I don't know if I should do this or if I should do that. If I should take this or should I take that, what do I do? And David does this. And so a heart that trusts in God cries out to God for wisdom and guidance, verses 4 and 5. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. There are at least two ways in which we cry out to God for guidance. One is we say, God, give me guidance right now to actually figure out what to do next. I'm in a jam. I'm suffering. I don't know. What do I do tomorrow? Tell me tomorrow. I mean, much less a week from now. I don't even know how to make it through tomorrow, God. Give me wisdom and guidance. That's one thing. And the other is, as we go through this, to say, God, And this takes a type of faith and a trust in God. God, help me not to waste this suffering, so help me to learn everything you want me to learn. Help me to grow from everything you want me. Help me to show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. By the way, everything I'm saying here, I don't think you'll get fully unless you take a psalm like this and start really meditating on it. Number three, by appealing to God for mercy and grace. When you and I are in trial and temptation, when we are in, in, in a bad time, the way we trust is by getting on our knees and we say, God, help me for your mercy's sake. Remember, look at verse 6 and 7. Remember your mercy, O God. That's how the psalmist talks about it. He begs God. He says, God, remember your mercy. Don't, don't you remember? You said you're this way. God, you're this way. I don't deserve, Mercy is getting receiving pity when we actually probably don't really deserve it. Grace is receiving gra- something we don't deserve. God, I'm not saying I have any right to claim this, but you said you're this way, so I'm just holding you to your word. God, would you be merciful and gracious? Remember not the sins of my youth. We actually come and we go, God, I deserve punishment. I don't deserve to even be comforted in this. But God, would you would you forget the sins of my youth because of your mercy? You say you do that. And I, so I cling to you as Jesus. 
And in fact, this, this has to point us right away to the gospel of Jesus Christ died for my sins. And so we come and say, God, you did this. Christ died for my sins. So you're not, any of this is not a punishment for me because Christ took my punishment. If anything, this is only you being a loving father to make me grow into who you want me to be. So God, but don't remember my sins, but instead have mercy and kindness on me in this struggle. So number three, by appealing to God for mercy and grace, verse 6 and 7. Number four, by confessing your sin to God. Yes. What I don't mean by this, I don't mean that whenever you go through a struggle, you have to immediately go, it's because of a sin. No. Jesus taught us in the scriptures that there are times when someone suffers and it's not because his, he sinned or his parents sinned, but so God would be glorified. But David does confess his sin in his struggle, and so should you and I. Job had to learn to confess his son, sin. Job went through suffering, and he was a righteous man, but he was a sinner, and he complained in his, his desperation to God, and he needed to confess his sin to God. And we come and we say, God, I, for your name's sake, pardon my guilt. It is great. I don't deserve your mercy. There is a, there is a comfort in coming and saying, God, I'm going through this suffering. I want your relief. I need your mercy. God, I recognize that I'm a sinner. I don't deserve it. I confess my sins to you. There is a there is a cleansing power of us humbling ourselves broken before God, offering up our hearts that rebel against Him and want our own way and want to be the Lord of our lives and we surrender it to Him. That is part of trusting God when times are bad by humbling ourselves broken in confession of sin. Number five, by keeping our eyes constantly on God. This is, the, this is the battle in our minds. It is, it is when anxiety floods, we just fight it right back to it. Look at verse 15. My eyes are ever toward the Lord, for He will pluck my feet out of the net. This is one of the reasons we have fighter verses. We have a verse before you that we would set before our minds and our hearts so that our minds are ever toward the Lord. Our minds are ever toward you, God. I remember a time in early, I mean, I, I look back and I, it's laughable, the, the type of pain in my life compared to what I've seen in this world now. But it, I remember in college, uh, entering into college my freshman year, I had a crush on a girl. She didn't like me, pain, suffering, life's going to end. And I felt so lousy and so disturbed, I just wanted to lay in my bunk, so demoralized. That was God's affliction in my life to grow me to cling to Him and look to Him. I guess I wasn't ready for some other suffering. And, and I remember God using Psalm 23, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I, he says, I will not lack any good thing if I have Him as my shepherd. That means that if I don't have this, that's good for me. I, but you know what? It took a constant looking to the Lord. He says, my eyes are ever toward the Lord. I, I love how one of the things that 
we love to do as a family is go swimming. And my little ones, when they were very young, and Mary's still kind of at that age, but she's moving out of that age, when we'd go swimming, they would stand at the edge of the pool and they would say, hey, Daddy, take me. And I would come to the edge of the pool. I'm in the pool already. And I would lean out my arms and I'd be like, Mary, you can trust me. Jump. Yeah, I don't know, Dad. Jump. She jumps. I catch her. But she clings really tight. She's looking at me. She doesn't want to let go of me. She's got me. I'm, we're, we're kind of, you know, it's up to here. It's way over her head. She doesn't want to let go. And over time, as she feels that, that she's looking at me, she's feeling secure. In fact, she can then actually look away. She can relax. She's secure. Dad's got me. Not letting go. But here he says, my eyes are ever toward the Lord. It's like Peter on the waters. Look at me, Jesus says. Look at me. Don't look at your trials. Look at me. Through the, through the troubled waters, look at me. We do that by, by, by failing to look at him about a thousand times a day and bouncing our attention back up to him. Number six, by lamenting to God all your pain. By lamenting to God all your pain. One of the ways we trust God is not by just being one of those persons that, okay, I have to trust God, and so if I trust God, I never tell God anything that I'm hurting. That's not the Psalms. This morning I read in Psalm 102, Hear my prayer, O God. Let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me in my day of distress. For my days pass away like smoke, and my bones burn like a furnace. My heart is struck down like grass and is withered. I forget to eat my bread. I, I can't even eat. I'm hurting so bad. I know that some of you in here feel that way. I'm like a desert owl of the wilderness, like an owl of the waste place. I lie awake. I am like a lonely sparrow of a housetop. All the day my enemies taunt me. I eat ashes like bread and mingle tears with my drink because of your indignation and anger. My days are like an evening shadow. I wither away like a grass. What's David doing? He's crying out to God when he's afflicted. He's lamenting. Lamenting means saying out to God, complaining to God. When you're tr- One of the ways we trust God is to get on our knees and just cry, pour out your heart to Him. That's what we see in Psalm 25 when he says, Turn to me. This is David. God, turn to me. Be gracious to me. I am lonely and afflicted. The, sor- the troubles of my heart have enlarged. They bring me out of my distresses. Consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive my sins. Consider how many are my foes and with what violent hatred they hate me. David cries out, and you can do that too. That's what God wants. You get on your knees and you say, God, this, this is really bad. This really hurt me. And then I have this in my life. And this is happening with this kid. And this is happening at work. And God, this is happening here. And this hurts me. This happened in my life. God, help me. How do I do this? God does not want us to complain about God, but He wants us to complain to God. In our prayers, yes, in faith, 
Yes, in submission to him, but we do that. We learn that from the Psalms, and we learn that here in David. Trusting God means lamenting to God all our pain. And lastly, by crying, number seven, by crying out for deliverance and salvation, which is really what all of this is about, too. But it's not only that. We trust God. We say, God, help me. Deliver me. Save me. God, we say, I offer up my soul to you. Give me wisdom. Do it according to your mercy. Forgive me my sins. I'm going to look to you. By the way, God, it really hurts bad, but God, deliver me and give me salvation. That's how he ends this psalm. Oh, guard my soul and deliver me. Let me not be put to shame. Let, he says, for I take refuge in you. I take refuge in you, oh God. Now, what is the foundation? Why can we trust God? Here's how. I just said, how do we trust God? We do that. But why? It could be summed up in this. Because God's faithful love is steadfast. It's, I, I wrote it down in five things. And because of time, I'm just going to list them. He does not allow those who trust in Him to be shamed for trusting Him. He will never in the last day, ever, make you go, that was really dumb of me to trust God. I trusted Him and I look like a fool. No. David says, indeed, those who wait on Him will not be ashamed, but they will be ashamed who are treacherous. Why should we trust God? Because he, trust, he instructs sinners in the way. Here, this is, I love this. He instructs sinners in the way. That, that's really good for me. That's really good for you. It's good for us. It, he says it in verse 8 and 9, good and upright in the Lord. He instructs sinners in the way, not just the upright. Because we, we don't always feel upright, but he instructs sinners, those that humble themselves and are broken and confess their sins. He instructs and he guides and he comes and helps them. He's the friend to the one who fears him. Number three, he's faithful and kind. Paths of the Lord are steadfast love. That's the Hasad love that we saw in the book of Ruth. God's love is there and he's not leaving Naomi. He's not leaving Naomi. He is steadfast. His love and kindness is from everlasting to everlasting. He's a friend, number four. He's a friend of those who fear him. Verse 14. And he brings salvation. He brings salvation. All of this is the foundation of the believer. This is, we, we live our lives saying, I, my soul was made to, to completely depend upon God for its ever, for its essence. It is to rely completely, consciously at all times to rely on this God. But my sinful nature that we saw marked in Adam and Eve in the garden was to say, no, I could do it alone. No, I can find fulfillment, satisfaction, security, comfort in myself, in my own way. I'm going to take of the tree alone. And God in his process is allow suffering to wake us up. And as C.S. Lewis says, to take the flag of affliction and plant it into our rebel souls and say, no, it's not good apart from me. You were meant for something more. I am going to make you rely and fix your eyes on me. 
of who you will look to for eternity and enjoy. But right now, right now, I am going to shape you through suffering. I'm going to make you complete through suffering. Come to know me. Come to know me by lamenting and crying out to me that I am faithful. Now, all of this is all seen through the light that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of all of this for us Christians today. I conclude with this. One of the images in the Bible is that suffering for a Christian is the furnace of affliction. The furnace of affliction we go through. We sing about it, whether if you sing uh, how firm a foundation is the furnace of affliction. What is... what? Furnaces are used for different things, but one of them, the, the idea of furnace is a forge. You put metal into that furnace, and so that metal in that furnace melts into a position, a place where you can take that metal and you can shape it properly. You can form it and move it so that it actually can be guided into the design of the person working on that metal. And so God has put us into the furnace of affliction in this life to shape us. And what is that shape? It is to be shaped into the image of Jesus Christ. It is to be made a mature human being, truly, fully, what God has intended and created us to be. Fully dependent, fully obedient, fully loving, fully at complete joy and communion with God someday forever. One of the greatest pictures in the Old Testament of a fiery furnace is in Daniel chapter 3 when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were in the fiery furnace. Nebuchadnezzar, through these faithful men who would not bow the knee to Nebuchadnezzar, he threw them in anger into this fire and it was so hot it destroyed the guards who were throwing them in the fire. And he was surprised and others around them looked into the, into the flame furnace and said, How in the world are they not dead? They're walking alive. And they saw a fourth. And and he said he was like the sons of a son of the gods. We now know as we look that that was not a son of the gods. It was the son of God who was with them in that. And thousands of years later, that one became, became man and went into the fiery furnace of affliction and faced the eternal wrath of God on him on the cross of Je- on the cross that's Jesus Christ and he faced a fire of affliction like we never will and he did it for us and by faith everyone that looks to that furnace endurer Jesus who took our sins went underground and rose from the dead, will live again. And right now, all our furnaces of affliction, He's with us. And He says, I was with you on the cross, I will be with you now, so that forever you will reign with me with eternal joy. God, I pray that you would help us to see these things. I pray that you'd help us to trust you. I pray that you'd help us to cling like David did in Psalm 25. Cling ever to you for you will not, you will pluck us out of the net in due time. God, I pray that you would help us to honor you and honor the Quadranos as we 
we go on in this world trusting you. And Father, because of the resurrection, your mighty power of resurrecting your Son, the firstborn from the dead, we do believe that it is not truly death to die. It is not the end. It is not separation from you to die because of Jesus. Teach us this. Teach us this in our suffering. Teach us this in our sorrows. Teach us to grow to cling to you when things are bad and make us like your son in Jesus' name. Amen.